This episode is brought to you by eBay Authenticity Guarantee. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee, and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like the gem. Sneakers and streetwear are so fresh, every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. Not just any experts, specialized experts, real people who love this stuff, with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue checkmark that says Authenticity Guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. I'm Yasi Salek, and I'm the host of Bandsplain, a show where we explain cult bands and iconic artists by going deep into their histories and discographies. We're back with a brand new season at our brand new home, the Ringer Podcast Network, tackling a whole new batch of artists, from grunge gods to power pop pioneers to new metal legends, and many, many more. Listen to new episodes every Thursday, only on Spotify. Welcome to another episode of Pop Culture History Lesson here on the Ringer Dish Feed. My name is Amelia Wedemeyer, and today I'm joined by Jody Walker. Hi, Jody. Hi, Amelia. I simply cannot believe that we are back here on the Ringer Dish Feed once yeah, again talking true. about a story that does pertain to cuckolding and um cooking. So, oh my gosh. you know, we, we will get into that when the time comes, but uh, I just could not help but think that that, uh, that is our common pop culture history wow. lesson bond. <laughs> I can't believe that. You're so right. I didn't even think of that, but you're so right. <laughs> this is Oh my god, this is the second time we have come to converge here and discuss an element, yes, <laughs> of cuckolding. Yeah, that's <laughs> Great. I'm so, <laughs> so proud of that statement. Well, yes, you're right. We are here to discuss Hulk Hogan's sex tape. It's 10 years actually since was published by Gawker 10 years ago on, I think, Tuesday. Um, it was published by Gawker. And yeah, we're here to talk about it. Kind of give a little timeline, a little context, talk about Gawker, maybe a little bit about Hulk Hogan, the First Amendment. So yeah, are you excited? Yeah, I'm excited. I love to talk about the rights to privacy. <laughs> and I mean, you know, it is it certainly pertains to us and pertains to me as in regards to freedom of the press. But yeah, what's really wild is as I went back through the details of this lawsuit and the details of this article coming out on Gawker and in the years and years then that the lawsuit went on, is mm-hmm. this story is nuts. Like it's there wild, are yeah. Literal plot twists. And it's kind of like I'm like, how do how do we do this podcast? No spoilers. It's like I, I want to I want to uh, keep the villain reveal until the end because right. that's how it really happened with this lawsuit that presented itself as something kind of simple. Right. And ultimately really was not. And then the also the other crazy thing about looking back at it for me is mm-hmm. that I don't know what your relationship with Gawker was at the time. Gawker sure. has obviously been reborn right. as a new and somewhat similar, somewhat different site with tons of like great writers and interesting stories. For me, back in the day, I think it was founded in like 2003. Something like that. Yeah, in the 2000s sometime. So, you know, I was a child uh, not reading Gawker, not reading sure. media news. 
Yeah. But as I as I came into my own as an adult, mm-hmm. well, like adult in air quotes, I the the only other job I've ever had other than being a pop culture writer was uh, working in ad sales, which was terrible oh. for me. Oh, but for like six months before you know I got an internship and moved to New York or whatever, I was like working a desk job, and I was too young to have that kind of responsibility <laughs> of just monitoring myself as an employee, and mm-hmm. I would come. Come into work every day. I would sit mm. down. I would op- I would come into work 10 minutes late every day. I'd sit down, <laughs> open Gawker and open mm-hmm. Grantland. And like that's oh, what nice. I read in that's like funny. 2014, I guess. Yeah. And so <laughs> to me, what I remember loving so much about mm-hmm. Gawker were like. I really loved this series called The Best Restaurant in New York, where hmm. Katie Weaver and Rich Juzuiak would go to restaurants that were like in tourist destinations in New York. So that the first one they did, they went to the American Girl doll store. And then like they'd go to like the restaurant in the Empire State Building or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so it was really funny. And like that's how I right. remember Gawker is just really funny. Really and it was funny. possibly myself just filtering the Gawker articles that I was reading. No, but no, what, yeah. what this story reminds is that there was also a very intentionally nasty side to Gawker that was very intentionally trying to expose the kind of like dark underbelly of celebrity culture of Mm -hmm. like, should celebrities be protected or not? What are the rights to privacy of people who put themselves in the public eye? And they tread that line so hard. Oh, my gosh. Well, I know we both watched the documentary Nobody Speak Trials of the Free Press, which is available on Netflix. And they you're right. They do kind of go into this. They do a little flashback in time of Gawker and all of its different banners. Like they talk about like Deadspin was one of them. So like that was all sports stuff. Jezebel was like the feminist one. Defamer is the one I really liked, which is like the tawdry celebrity gossip one. You love gossip, Amelia. You love gossip. I know. I just, I love celebrity (laughs) gossip. What can I say? You're so good at it. You're so good at keeping up with it. It is a fast moving (laughs) industry and you have your thumb on the pulse. Well, I try. Thank you, Jody. And but yeah, and they, there was another one called Valley Wag, which they would report on Silicon Valley enterprises and whatnot. But anyway, they and they go through the headlines of some of these and they're just like objectively really mean. They're like calling these people out. You know, they they I know got in trouble a couple times for essentially outing people. And we'll talk about that later. But it's just it. I just forgot because I haven't looked at like Gawker in years because it went under. Now it's back. But it was a very simple website. And just the headlines were really, really mean. The Manti Teo thing was a deadspin piece. I also I remember there was this one deadspin piece that was so horrible because I guess there was like a, a football player, a college football player, and he essentially like pooped his pants and they like reported that and they were like, this guy pooped his pants. And I I just will never forget that. The Gawker article that I always think about that it doesn't really pertain to this, but it gives an example of the sort of breadth with which they were casting their net. Like they were exposing celebrities, but also sometimes they were exposing brothers of celebrities or random media people Mm -hmm. or low level politicians And at certain times, it kind of felt like no one was safe. So this story that I'm thinking about, in like 2013, someone sent one of their writers a letter that a sorority president had put on their sorority listserv. And it was crazy. I remember reading it at the time and being like, ah, this is life. Yes. Like to get to read this wild thing where this young woman... She's like, if you are not prepared to entertain the Sigma news that we have teamed up with for Greek Week, then go ahead and just punch yourself in the face. That's right. I said, punch yourself in the face. Like, it was so bad. And they leaked this letter of an anonymous college student. I don't think they outed her name at the time, but that was news for Gawker. It was funny. So, so much was news for Gawker. And they were just trying to expose the truth, especially the truth of terrible people in this very wide shotgun spray sort of way. 
And that often came with legal entanglements. Right. But Nick didn't seem to have this belief that a lot of media outlets around him were being overly cautious legally. Like they were too scared to report Mm -hmm. more salacious stories out of, you know, fear of legal retaliation. But his thought, I think, was kind of like, what is a celebrity really going to do? They're going to threaten to sue you. Right. But in the pursuit of suing you, it generally, first of all, it's expensive, depending on what kind of celebrity you are. <laughs> yes. And then it also exposes that there's likely some truth to whatever this terrible thing that they've written about you is. And so Gawker is most often protected not only by freedom of press with the First Amendment, but they're also protected by these kind of social structures. And so I think they took a lot of risks with the stories they wrote, and they tried this very thin line of not just propriety, but also legality. And as we're talking about, or as we're going to talk about, one of those was just a risk too far unbeknownst to them. Yes, that was that was a very succinct, perfect way to put it. Seriously, to open it up because I guess the story starts, it was 2006 in which Terry Bollea or Bo- Boyea, who is Hulk Hogan, that's his real name, was videotaped having sex. Another part of this is like the characters in this story are absolutely wild. They're just Wild. It's like Tiger King. He was videotaped having sex with a woman named Heather Clem, who was the wife at the time of Hulk Hogan's best friend, a man named Bubba the Love Sponge Clem. I don't think that's his real name, but he was a Tampa Bay-based shock jock who I guess was kind of in cahoots, not cahoots, but he was aligned with like Howard Stern. So he's of that ilk. And if you know Howard Stern, he's like a famous shock jock. I'm sure people listening know who Howard Stern is. Anyway, <laughs> so yeah. So Bubba the Love Sponge and his wife, apparently, and I too did a little deeper dive into this besides watching the video. I also watched a recent podcast interview, I think it was, of Bubba, like as a man now talking to someone. And he talked about how him and his wife at the time, they had not necessarily, like, they had kind of an open marriage or whatever. And I guess Hulk was going through his divorce from Linda. If you watched Hogan Knows Best, they uh, publicly put their lives on television on VH1. And he was going through a divorce with Linda. And so he was living at Bubba's home. And Bubba has said in this podcast interview that I listened to, he and Hulk were just driving around and Hulk was just really depressed and going through a really hard time in his life because of his marriage. And Bubba just casually said, hey, do you want to sleep with my wife as a way to cheer yourself up? And I guess he called Heather, his wife at the time, and was like, why don't you get into something sexy and we'll have Hulk Hogan come over? And here we are again, Amelia, (laughs) talking about cucking. You can tell I'm like rubbing my neck a lot. I just, I'm like uncomfortable. Amelia is very comfortable with this subject matter. (laughs) But yeah, so not only does Bubba the Love Sponge kind of coordinate the stallions between his wife, Heather, which uh, allegedly was not an unusual thing for them. But he also films it. Right. And on his security tape. He claims it was like a security tape thing. But uh, I don't know. I guess she also claimed I read in like some court document thing she or like interview and she was saying no he knew this was going on and like he would have me positioned in a way where you could see stuff and it would be in front of the camera so who knows exactly why the cameras right. were there's there, like but- a question if this was intended to lift um the Hulkster's spirits or if it was intended intentionally intended for extortion right exactly thank which you which is more or less the ultimate way that it was used and how it comes to tie in with God. right 
Which is interesting, though, because if this thing was shot in 2006, it goes unnoticed until six years later, until 2012, when we get a TMZ publishing report that there's a Hulk Hogan sex tape. Comedy ensues. We get The Dirty. Do you remember the website, The Dirty? I don't. That was not on my avoiding work list of websites. It was not a good website. It was like really, they would take everyday people and kind of lift them to celebrity status by saying like, they're, you know, they're trashy or they would use worse language than I'm using right now. Um, But anyway, the Dirty publishes screenshots from the purported tape. And then on October 4th, 2012, Gawker editor, AJ Delario publishes a two minute version of a sex tape, the sex tape featuring Hulk Hogan and Heather Clem. Yikes. Yikes. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> you know, I th- that was probably not yet when I was reading it, but it's, yeah. you know, you have to imagine like you're there, you're sitting with the moral decision. Mm-hmm. Do I click <laughs> on this? Link. Um, I'm trying to the, aye, aye, aye. the headline at the time was even for a minute, watching Hulk Hogan have sex in a canopy bed is not oh, safe for work, but God. watch it anyway. Oh, I see again with these headlines. They're they're funny, but also just like okay. It's also long. I can't imagine it that, is, that is like search search friendly, but at the time true. that was kind of a, a different rodeo. But when they show in the documentary just like a, a flash of this headline, it shows mm-hmm. that it has 7.7 million views. And oh, wow. Who knows how many it has now, but that's right. a lot of views. And that is that a bunch, was, yes. That was Gawker's bread and butter, but also like in some ways... AJ Delario says that when this dropped, there wasn't that much pushback. Like it, it wasn't right. that huge of a deal that Hulk Hogan had a sex tape. Part of the reason that it wasn't that big of a deal for people to see this headline, click on it, and then actually see some some video footage of cli- of pictures they had already been seeing mm-hmm. on other websites, is that right. Hulk Hogan had been talking about this sex tape. He had very nearly been promoting it. Like, he'd been making it a part of his personality. He was Mm -hmm. going on radio shows. I think Howard Stern, yeah. Howard Stern, he was talking about it a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, And so there was this kind of general feeling of, like, has he embraced this in some sort of way? Um, But Twist... He's going to say that he has not embraced this. Right, exactly. Because then I'm like, Hulk Hogan. Yes, that's his name. And his lawyers, a guy by the name of David Houston, interesting looking man in the documentary. Quite a head of hair on him. Yeah, quite, definitely. Quite yes. a head of hair. They tell Gawker to take it down and they will walk away. But Gawker gives it to the lawyers. They give their cease and desist letter to their lawyers and essentially, you know, like you were saying before, nothing happens. So then Hulk Hogan's like, okay, fine. I'm going to sue your asses for $100 million, which, great. <laughs> okay, well, I mean, not great, but that's what happens. And then I don't really know exactly. And the documentary didn't totally get into it because the documentary, it's like half the time it's the Hulk Hogan one and then the other half is the Las Vegas um, Tribune. But anyway... So it's so it's from 2012. And then obviously things move slow in terms of like the legal process. And not until March 7, 2016, does Balea versus Gawker begin. Well, and just, you know, a, a little a little drop to, yeah. you know, tantalize you, keep you interested is like there's a pretty interesting and good reason for some of that time in between and some of what was coming together behind the scenes that will not be revealed until later. Sure. <laughs> later right. in the ti- later in the real world timeline and later in this podcast. Right. <laughs> exactly. Oh God. So then the trial begins. And interestingly enough, we learn that Hulk Hogan's team decides to drop a charge, which is according to the Netflix documentary. It's the infliction of emotional distress, which apparently falls within an insurance policy about the infliction of bodily harm. 
And so once that was dropped from the civil suit, the insurance company walked away, leaving Gawker exposed to the financial losses. And they were like, that sounds weird that they would be doing that because wouldn't you want to get every single last cent out of these people? Like, why would you decide to drop that? And it was because the reason being to damage the company as a whole. Right. So there starts to be this feeling that the goal of this lawsuit that has been forged by Hulk Hogan is not just to fix his emotional damages of having his sex tape published. And, Mm -hmm. you know, that's another really interesting part of this story is it's it's basically the press's rights within the First Amendment versus an individual's right to privacy and how an individual purports themselves, how that kind of affects and changes their right to privacy. So within this lawsuit and within the testimony, Hulk Hogan's team starts doing this thing where they're really trying to differentiate between (laughs) the person and individual, Terry Balea, who has been hurt, damaged, and harmed by the publication of this sex tape, and the character of Hulk Hogan, who has been promoting discussing and talking about this sex tape in a way that makes it a public endeavor in a way that would make it news, which it's is so what wild is protected under the First Amendment right is the the right to report truth if it is a newsworthy event. All newsworthy things, re- all reported things should be true, but all true things are not newsworthy. <laughs> and that's kind of what's being argued here in this very bizarre way yeah. of Hulk Hogan straight up talking about his penis <laughs> on yeah. the witness stand because it's a Wild. part of him differentiating, attempting to differentiate right. between Hulk and Terry. He says, Hulk Hogan has a 10-inch penis, but Terry Balea himself, who I guess is who's currently on the witness stand, (laughs) does not. Which is like, you know, a tough thing, I think, for jurors to have to hear. It's confusing. Um, AJ, who is, you know, on the defense side, is like, he's just watching Hulk Hogan just absolutely spew wildness in a defense that's kind of working or a or a uh not a defense but it that's that's kind of working they they right. go through a lot of like um links to have Hulk Hogan explain or excuse me have Terry <laughs> Balea explain what the Hulk Hogan persona right. is and yes. it is it is really wild to like we're a little young to have been there when sure. Hulkamania was really happening. Yes. But to look at where Hulk Hogan has come as a WWF and WWE wrestler mm-hmm. of being this sort of like all American. I mean, he was a heel, but like his persona is that he was this all American wrestler and he had three demandments that then I believe came four demandments, uh, which were training, saying your prayers, and Mm. taking your vitamins. These were his core, like his core beliefs that he was putting out into the world. That's amazing. And then as the, you know, cookie crumbled, and basically as he got a reality show called Hogan Knows Best, which exposed the Hogan family as a pretty tough hang. He and his wife were, you know, it was ultimately, Amelia, do you remember this? It was ultimately revealed that Hulk Hogan was having an affair with his daughter, Brooke Hogan's friend during the filming of Hogan Knows Best. What? Which ultimately leads to the divorce of Hulk and Linda Hogan. I guess her last name was not Hogan. No, it is Hogan. Actually, I think it is. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. Which, you know, is an interesting bullet point in the case of like, is this a character or not? That's so true. And then after they got divorced, Linda Hogan started dating her son's 19-year-old friend. Like, best friend. I remember that. Best yes. friend. Yes. I, who um, kind of looked like Hulk Hogan. Yes. And they dated, to be fair, for like four years. But no, they did it still, for a long time. Still yeah. not great. Still a little weird. And, yeah. you know, things really fell apart 
for Hulk Hogan during that yes. this time. Yes. From like when the sex tape was filmed in 2006 to when it was released in 2012 to when this lawsuit is actually happening in 2016, things get very bad. You're right. And so, yeah, that that differentiation is important. It's also confusing to right. when we see the lawyers the, even become confused about it. Right, right. It's confused to keep up with. It's mm-hmm. also confusing sort of as to what he wants out of this. Right. Obviously he wants money. And <laughs> the and he and he says, you know, he believes and says that he is entitled to that money because of the damages that were done to him. But the reason right. I went off on that tangent is because you, you know, had brought up the infliction uh, that the the insurance company is no longer liable to cover right. Gawker once that specific charge of emotional distress, which also includes the infliction of bodily harm, is taken off the table. This That's like no longer within the realm of Gawker's insurance. And then it just comes down to these individual people. Yeah. Nick Ditton, AJ Delario. And that's where it's like, what's going on, Hulkster? Like... <laughs> You can't get more money from these people than you can get from a corporate insurance company. Exactly. So what's the goal? Right. And that's kind of people are asking that the route and they're like, this doesn't it doesn't make any sense if you want to get compensated for this. And now you're just legitimately trying to damage Gawker as a company as a whole. You're trying to bankrupt them. So then it's revealed during the trial that there are other tapes with Hulk Hogan using racist and homophobic language. And, uh, you know, the National Enquirer slash Radar Online published a transcript of it. It's not good. It's very, very bad. And just real real quick, Amelia, do you, yes. you want to tell the people how uh, they got that transcript? From an FBI sting that takes case in the middle. It's it takes place in the middle of this so case. so wild. It's so, yes. this Because they're trying to broker the tape. Right. And then it's yes, like there is there is a man sort of down and out lawyer, former Hollywood lawyer who right. during this time of like 2006 to 2012, which is like the prime of sex tapes. And, you know, it really on their is. way out when Hulk Hogan's sex tape gets leaked. <laughs> like that is kind right. of an era, era capping moment. Yeah. There is a man who fancies himself a sex tape broker. And it is it's absolutely extortion. I will not release this sex tape if you pay us money for it. And so Hulk's legal counsel sets this guy up to meet them in a hotel room. Surprise, the FBI is Mm -hmm. also there. And it's also, these other sex tapes were originally a part of Gawker's defense because they are making the claim that Terry Balea, Hulk Hogan, is really only suing them not because he suffered emotional distress, but because he's trying to keep this other sex tape from coming out where he is heard using terrible racial slurs and being terribly homophobic. Right. Exactly. And it's... Which, how do you do that in a sex tape? I I don't know. That is a great question. I do not know. You just start yelling stuff, I guess. I don't know. It's Where does one find the time? (laughs) Between the sex. I don't know, Jody. And then we have, obviously, the WWE fires Hulk Hogan. You know, if you thought he, this man was on a downward spiral, he's just kicked it into high gear. And it's interesting, too. We also learned through all of this that Gawker wasn't allowed to subpoena Heather. And I think they did subpoena Bubba, Bubba the Love Sponge, and he pled the fifth. And I guess the judge was even. Like, oh, he doesn't need to come in or whatever. So they're not getting any other sides of this. It's just Hulk Hogan and his team. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by eBay Authenticity Guarantee. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like the gem. Sneakers and streetwear so fresh, every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. Not just any experts, specialized experts, real people who love this stuff with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue checkmark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. 
Every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. In addition to all of the wild, you know, wrestling Bubba the Love Sponge FBI sting layers to this case, there's also the case that it's being tried in Florida. It this this case pursued by Hulk Hogan was released on a federal level as Ugh. being protected under the First Amendment, right? So, so he wild. ultimately brings it to a state level in Florida. And so there's this kind of like cultural classist element mm-hmm. where Hulk Hogan is from Florida. He's right. uh, like a hometown hero, despite his downfall, right. you know, despite the loss of hair. At one point on the stand, he mentions that like a full head of hair is part of the Hulk Hogan persona. And then he has to be like, well, used to be. Um, <laughs> so he is still kind of like this Florida boy, this Florida hometown hero. And then right. here come these media elites from New York City down to the South. and. To be fair, they don't do themselves any favors. Like, Nick Denton and A.J. Deloria are like, they see, you know, I mean, they they seem often when on the stand, like, they think that they're better than this. Right. And they don't seem to have any remorse. And they don't have to have remorse. But it didn't seem, it doesn't seem to play well to the jury, nor to the judge, who is the one who's making a lot of these decisions that do seem to lean in Hulk Hogan's favor, like just, you know, allowing Bubba to plead the fifth. And and for some reason, not subpoenaing Heather, Clem, I, I really don't. She had made a statement in the deposition that took place, I think, in like 2013, Mm -hmm. but that they couldn't use her testimony right because at some point Bubba and Heather begin saying or at least Bubba the love sponge did that Hulk Hogan did know this was being filmed and right. that would be a big twist but it never right. happened so it doesn't matter <laughs> so and it's and then we see that or I read somewhere that Bubba was going through a divorce with Heather and that became really contentious too and so you have all these people who just like hate each other and now they're stranded in a courtroom together and well I guess not Bubba but they're in a case together and it's just it's a lot there's a lot of uh moving parts here so you're right so this jury this judge does not seem to really like the guy the men of Gawker which again you know it's you're right they're from New York the guy who helms it Nick Denton he's British I don't think they really like him either. And, you know, he's got his posh little British accent. And then on March 18th, Hulk Hogan wins the lawsuit. He is awarded $140 million. That's wild money, y'all. <laughs> That's that so is much money. That is not 
sex tape, emotional damages, personal right to privacy money. That is wrongful death suit, corporate, you know, medical malfeasance money. So it's really why it's a really wild into this case, which spoiler alert is not the end. And it sort of speaks to this idea and this lingering thread throughout the case that like something else is afoot. Something else is going on. Another thing that people had been asking is like Hulk Hogan is not who Hulk Hogan used to be. And he gets fired from WWE in the middle of this case. This Mm -hmm. man does. And also notoriously Linda, his ex-wife got like a lot of their money and property Mm, in the divorce. This man doesn't have a lot of money. And he has just waged a very long, very high-powered lawsuit that yielded very big results. Right. In a way that doesn't totally make sense. Exactly. It's like, who is actually funding this? Like, what is going on here? And that is when we learn May 24th, a few months later, a couple months later, Forbes reports that the billionaire... Peter Thiel, who co-founded PayPal and was also an early investor in Facebook, is behind this. He was funding Hulk's legal team. And then the next day, Peter Thiel admits this to the New York Times. It's wild. It's so and you crazy. Know what? As messed up as a lot of parts of this story are and as yeah. tough as it is to like hear Hulk Hogan you know, talking about his sex life on the stand and and the, like, the difficulty of really parsing through, like, what journalists are entitled to do and what mm-hmm. they're not and where we draw those lines. The... I am glad to have revisited this because I did not realize how crazy this was at the time. I mean, I want to say that by 2016, I was fully an adult with, you know, like not just avoiding my job. But there was something about it that at that time did not click in for me. No, same. Now I'm like, oh, my God, a secret, a billionaire. Yeah. Peter Thiel. Who the character from Silicon Valley is based on. Right. Right. Which in its per it's a match. It makes <laughs> a lot of sense. It's a match. Was un- so anonymously funding this fight against yeah. the de- for the destruction of Gawker <laughs> that even Hulk Hogan and his legal team right. did not know who was funding this. It's, it's, uh, like, what? And then uh, how does Forbes get this report? You know, like, who tips off Forbes? I I do not know. I don't he- know how they found that out. But the, there is sort of an ironic piece to this that, mm-hmm. like, this is the kind of story that Gawker would have been totally. on top of. Like, that yes. Gawker would have been reporting so had they maybe had been able to, like have a little more clear eyes on the situation. <laughs> right, exactly. And it's just, it's so, it's just like, it, you you can't think this stuff up. It's insane. All the different nuances to this story where it's like, okay, it's this, but then it's this. And then it's also a First Amendment case. And then now there's a billionaire involved and he's secret. And it's just, what the fuck? And then we learn that also Valley Wag, which again is the Silicon Valley banner of Gawker uh, that, reports on a lot of happenings there. They had outed Peter Thiel um, in 2007. And so he has been, he had been seething, just waiting for his time to come when he could get them back. And it took him nearly 10 years, but he got him. I listened to a podcast with Ryan Holiday, who wrote the book Conspiracy, Peter Thiel, Hulk Hogan, Gawker, and the Anatomy of Intrigue, which sounds completely fascinating because like, as we've we've said, there are so many elements to this story and, you know, we'll get a little more into like what it means for a billionaire to fund the individual takedown of press. Right. But... As Amelia said, they wrote this article. Was it was it Nick Denton himself who wrote uh, the article? That's leaving. That's not in my brain currently. I but don't think it is, but maybe 
Nick Denton says in the documentary that he is gay and right. he, a, a lot of sort of Gawker's reputation of outing people some, seems to come from this sort of mentality that he has, that there's no shame around being gay. And so like calling people out and examining why there is a secrecy to being gay, he sort of considers you know, a service yeah, and a way of making, of creating less shame around being gay. And, right. you know, things were really different in 2003, 2006, even 2012. Yeah. I think that that's not something we stand for anymore. Right. Is publicly outing people, but yeah. there is kind of some nuance to it. But clearly, Peter Thiel really took, it's suggested that by by Ryan Holiday in his book that more than being outed what or or being said to be gay on a public platform what he took offense to is like there this idea that there is a reason he's keeping it a secret mm-hmm. and like sort of poking at that like what's the reason that this isn't public knowledge or this is being kept a secret for whatever reason that he took offense to this article in 2007 like Amelia says he tucks it in his back pocket. Not really, though. He kind of tucks it in his front pocket. And he's out here spewing shit about Gawker all the time. Oh. He's so mad. He says that so Gawker angry. is like, that they are like terrorists to America. Like, yeah. that they are the lowest of the low. He seems to consider them like a unique evil in the press world. Right. So Ryan Holiday tells this story in his book about like what, you know, takes this from a conspiracy theory to an actual conspiracy is that apparently in 2011, 2011, Teal hosts this dinner for young people with ideas that he's like willing to entertain as a venture capitalist. And that's like mm-hmm. something he does. He also has this fund that for like where he gives very young people $100,000 to drop out of college right. and pursue right. their ideas, which is like a little controversial. Right. So he has this dinner for a handful of young people to present him with their ideas. And this young man, a 26-year-old college student, sits down and his idea is how to take down Gawker. He says they're actually doing a lot of things that are legally pursuable if only, like, the celebrity or the plaintiff or whoever they've made posted about were Hmm. willing to, like, really dig in and really go the distance of this suit and if they had the money to do so. But it would have to be the right case where they really could be Like, that the suit could be successful. That Um, is so crazy. It's so crazy. And the kid, I mean, (laughs) the young man says that it would probably take, like, a couple years, like, three three to five years and $10 million to test this theory. Oh, my gosh. And, like, that's his business presentation. But you know what it is? A really good idea because that's what you do. You find out what a venture capitalist is interested in (laughs) and then you target that. So I have no idea like what kind of seed money this this young man got. But Teal agrees. He's like, yeah, let's let's do it. I would like like to fund this venture. So that's in 2011. In 2012, when the article comes out, Hulk Hogan sues. It gets dismissed. Well, first they do the cease and desist and Gawker won't take the article down. Then Hulk Hogan sues. It gets released at the federal court. Once it goes to Florida, this guy has been like tracking ways to sue Gawker for Peter Thiel. And he's like, this is the one. Especially because it came into more into the idea of... um, sort of like personal rights to privacy. There was definitely an element of the First Amendment in it, but there was also this other element that made them like more susceptible to prosecution than just like the fully protective First Amendment. And yeah, and so that's how Peter Thiel decides to financially back Hulk Hogan's suit. And because he has... So this, this young man who presented the idea originally contacts Hulk Hogan's legal team and says anonymously, someone wants to fund this. Are you in? And they say, yes, of course. 
And so there are all these degrees of separation between Peter Thiel and this actually happening. Because when I, you know, heard in the past and and even in like researching this was here, like, how could, how could these lawyers not know who are paying for their fancy hotels? Like that wasn't adding up to me, Yeah, but they know that someone is, but they don't know that it's international billionaire Peter Thiel. That is like a shock, a a shock colony. Yeah. Right, right. Oh my God. Okay. And I can't believe they didn't add this in the uh, documentary because that, what another crazy element. Well, the doc, this, the documentary that we watched came out in 2017. Okay. And this book that was like, you know, really specific reporting by Ryan Holiday. Like he got, wow. he got wild access. He also talked to Peter Thiel. Wow. They didn't have that information. And it's like, right. it's another layer to this story that keeps unfolding. Like, this sex tape was made in 2006. Oh, my God. And this story continues to unfold. And, of course, you know, what the documentary addresses a lot, which is very is a very different concept in 2017 than mm-hmm. it is now when, because of what a lot of, of what they talk about, you know, is what does it mean for one billionaire to be able to take down an entire media corporation. Like, what does that mean to the freedom of the press? What does that mean for the constitutional protection of reporting? And especially at the time when Donald Trump was the president, was extremely skeptical of of the media, was sicking, you know, his You you guys are the bad guys, yeah. And really, really setting up the media and the press to be villains in a way that made it impossible it to report on him and right. to report truth in a way that was not criticized. And it, it really that that was a quite a dark time, 2016, 2017. That's such a good point. Yeah. You're so right. You're so right. That is just I oh my God, there are just so many elements to the story that are just absolutely fascinating. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it seems, it seems to be wrapped up. Peter Thiel has said, Peter Thiel, a Trump supporter, and, you know, they are, they are, he has, Peter Thiel has said separately from Trump that, this, you know, was kind of a one time incident that he thought that Gawker was like uniquely evil that they needed to be taken down. Mm -hmm. And that's why he did it. Mm -hmm. But the scary thing is, and the fear is, and the reason to support good journalism and to support fearless reporters, who, to be clear, are not me. I write about pop culture. (laughs) I think you're fearless, Jody. You (laughs) do. You cover pop culture in a fearless way. (laughs) I'm fearless in going to Funny Girl and reporting honestly about Leah Michelle. (laughs) You can read that on (laughs) TheRinger.com. Yes, you can. And you have to. It's so good. But yeah, is this is this idea that what if Peter Thiel decides another company is it is just as evil as Gawker? Right. And what if he wants to take them down too? Mm-hmm. There was a feeling when this trial first finished and Hulk Hogan won this suit. It was crazy how much money he won. And it was sad that like, this, you know, that like some of these individual writers mm-hmm. were like going to go bankrupt from this. Right, but there was right. also this feeling that it was kind of a one-time incident. That it's like the decision that was ultimately made and sort of considered by like legal experts is like, okay, the line here is that you can report on a sex tape and you can say a sex tape exists and maybe you can even say what's in the sex tape, but you can't publish video of the sex tape. That sure. was kind of like the legal conclusion of this lawsuit. Then you find out that the whole reason it succeeded, the reason it happened at all, is because it was funded by a tech billionaire who wanted to take down a media company uh, for just, very personal reasons. It's so wild. And that's where it gets like a little scary of like, okay, do we have means to prevent this? Like, how do we protect journalism how do we protect media from billionaires yeah it's so true and i think also this is relevant in uh, there was discussion about anti-slap laws which are essentially try to help 
in terms of like defend, you know, journalism and and just people in general from getting totally bankrupt by these places and people who sue them. But there was, you know, discussion with the Johnny Depp trial. Yeah. How he wanted to have it in, I think, Virginia because the anti-slap laws were not as strong as they were in California. And again, you know, he he's I don't know if he's a billionaire, but he has a lot of money. And I think right. one of the strategies there, I mean, not to relitigate that, but was to essentially, you know, bankrupt her, you know. And again, that's what we're seeing with these. And it's really scary. Yeah. I mean, it's no secret that you can game the legal system with enough power and enough money. Yeah. And Gawker versus Hulk Hogan was an interesting case because Hulk Hogan was a celebrity, but he had like pretty dwindling power. Mm-hmm. Whereas at the time, Gawker was very powerful. They were exposing politicians. They, you know, like they had the power to change the stock market with an article. Like if it so was crazy. about a business, they got an Apple phone before it went on the market right. and said everything about it. Yeah. And that that changes Apple, which is one of the most powerful institutions in America, in the world. Mm -hmm. So the power dynamics of that were complex and were almost balanced for the case. And then to have this personal individual billionaire swoop in and literally tilt the scales of justice. It's wild. Was at the time unprecedented. And you hope much like, you know, you hope in the case of the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial that like it doesn't become precedented. But right, that's the exactly. kind of thing that like only only time will tell. Yeah, exactly. And it's just it's I oh my gosh, I need to read this book now. And now I really want to buy this book and read it because that sounds like he really like you're saying he got a lot of access that, you know, I, I thought watching the documentary itself was very fascinating, but I'm sure this book goes even more into depth with everything that happened. Well, it's not often that outlandish conspiracy theories are ultimately proven to be true. And <laughs> that like, is a good point. Yeah. There was actually a conspiracy to take down Gawker. That was real. So wild. So wild. Yeah. I can, I can, it's like, I kind of wish that I could go back to the time when it was really happening and experience these things happening in real right. time. Yeah. Because I just, I did not realize the heaviness and the weight of it at the time, but it's been, it's been very no. interesting to revisit. It really has. Yeah. 10 years later. Crazy, crazy stuff. Yeah. I guess anything else you want to add about our second time around with this, you know, cuckolding <laughs> stuff? No, I'm kidding. Amelia, there is nothing I want to add about cuckolding. I guess I would just say, like, train, say your prayers, take your vitamins, and, (laughs) you know, what better commandments can we follow? Right. The way of Hulk Hogan. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Jody Walker, for joining me. Thank you so much to our producer, Jade Whaley, and thank you all for listening to another installment of Pop Culture.